0: this morning by continuing reading through Ruth chapter 2 and finish this little portion of this beautiful story. I'll be starting at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the, harley, the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Then Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go work with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Holy Father, thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for your presence with us here today. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth bring you glory and encouragement to your people. To your honor and power, this is all due. In Jesus' name, amen. Stories. Stories are a beautiful thing. There's a saying that says, uh, A picture paints a thousand words, and I would say, A story reveals a thousand truths. Thanksgiving is a time to share stories recent and past family folklore that kind of gives insight into what our family is about and the character and the quirks of different individuals or the family itself we have great stories about my dog growing up named Mumbles and there was a love hate relationship between he and my mom and we can just get roaring with laughter about some of the antics there but then there are those stories that kind of get us to the the real center of things to the deeper truths of life to the truth about God and by grace we all have stories like that in our family that we can share that reveal God's character one story in particular i think of i i call it the dropped off by train and picked up by God when my great grandmother came over from sweden with her six children Her oldest son, Gus, was already here in Michigan. And she came and navigated Ellis Island all by herself with her little ones and got onto a train and um, went to Michigan with the expectation that Gus would pick her up. He was working at a farm. Um, And things got sideways and a little mixed up, and it turns out that they got dropped off by the train in the middle of the night kind of in rural Michigan not sure what to do not able to speak any of the language and then the other side of the story Gus had been nudged had gotten up in the middle of the night saying I have to go pick up my family so he went to the farmer whose truck he was going to borrow and the, the, tr- the farmer said no 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 they're not coming yet you don't need to go so he went back to bed and he got up again I said, no, no, I really, really have to go, and kind of kept at it. And so the farmer said, finally, okay, go. Take the truck and go. So there he is driving on those back row roads. And there my great-grandmother with her six children standing on the, the train station seeing those two lights coming up that road. God's grace, God's provision. That story is part of my heritage, and it has formed my view of God and who he is. And it's helped me understand how real and present he is. And really, that's what the Bible is all about, and that's what Ruth is about. It is revealing God's character and his ways, and by displaying his presence, by displaying his glory. One of the main character traits that is demonstrated in the book of Ruth is Hesed, which Andrew mentioned last time, loving kindness. One commentator says the word Hesed is often used to describe the peculiar love the Lord extends to his redeemed people. I love that. Peculiar love that God extends. The word Hasid is used three times in this story, actually not in this chapter, um, in chapter two. First, from Naomi to the daughters, and then Naomi about the one who shows kindness to the living and the dead. Oh, actually, it was in this chapter. Um, And then when Boaz was speaking to Ruth um, about when she came to the threshing floor. And each time that it's used... God is referred to as the main actor in this Hesed. He is the blesser. He is the benefactor. He is the one who fulfills debts. Each time, the acts of kindness of the individuals in this story, they actually flow from, they, they come from, they are derived from God's loving kindness. God's Hesed is foundational to this. It's pervasive, and it's seen everywhere in this story. And first, I'd like to just t- think about the continuity of God's hesed its long-lasting nature. And we get a picture of it in Psalm 136, where the word hesed is used 26 times. I'll just read a little bit of that. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love, his loving kindness, his hesed, endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. And it goes on and on, recounting the beauty and the glory of God and the acts of kindness that he has extended through the history of his people. There are echoes of that kindness in this chapter itself. When God called his people out to be his own and he extended his peculiar love to them, he directed them to extend that love to others. And you see it in the laws about gleaning, Leviticus 19, where it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time. Or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. It's also seen in God's direction to his people about how they should treat foreigners. Again, in Leviticus, it says, When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien live you, living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, without the foundation of God's love and expectations that he made among his people, there would have been no basis for the interaction between Ruth and Boaz. So finally, we also come to see the hints of God's loving kindness in Boaz's explanation to Ruth about his generosity. So in verse 12, Boaz says, God is the true giver of good things. He is the true paymaster. God is the rewarder, and he is the refuge for Ruth. He says that I want to extend generosity to you because God has extended generosity to me and to my people. The words that he uses about Ruth leaving her homeland are similar to the words and the phrases that were used to describe the patriarchal migration of God's people. Abraham leaving their homeland, Jacob with his movements. And when he says, when Boaz says to Ruth, may God repay you, those words that he's using there hearken back to the drama between Jacob and Laban when they were talking about his wages. Again, it's hearkening back to, it's, it's giving us echoes of God's loving kindness that has continued with his people. Boaz's explanation for his generous response comes from an understanding of God's continual loving kindness that he has extended through the years. And this loving kindness of God is also kind of behind the scenes. It's actually hidden in plain sight in this story. God's fingerprints are all over the place. So when he, in the introduction in verse 1 in, um, in this chapter, it gives us a little hint of Boaz and who he is. And he's part of the Elimelech clan. That makes us realize, okay, there's something happening here. This isn't just a random guy off the street. God's behind this. And then in verse 3, where it says, As it turned out, Ruth was entered this field. And the commentators have said that the way it's kind of written, it kind of is like a wink-wink, as it turned out. Really pointing to not chance, but God's work. Verse three again it says, And she found herself in Boaz's field, confirming God's providence and provision. <laughs> Verse 4 Just then Boaz arrived. No, he arrived as God intended he would arrive. There was an unfolding of events that was fitting into God's story here. And then and you have the greeting between Boaz and his workers. And again, this is Boaz inviting God's presence into the field. And it is the author's way of saying, God is behind this. God is making this happen. And then Naomi's blessing. As soon as she saw the bounty that Ruth had brought, she realizes there is no way that this could have happened other than by God's provision. God blessed them person from whom this happened. So the references to God in this chapter are often indirect, and they're subtle, and, and they actually can be overlooked, I think often just like they can be in our own lives. But the author suggests that God's pre- there's God's is in this narrative, and there's this weaving together of his redemptive purposes in and through the faithful and obedient responses of his people. I think this story gives us a beautiful glimpse of God's sovereignty and human agency moving in concert, moving together, kind of like a dance. And it makes something beautiful. God's fingerprints are all over this story, and the actors have the opportunity to move in his loving kindness. And it's beautiful, and it's mysterious. And I think it's all the more so beautiful because it happens in the middle of a mess. Now, as Andrew alluded to last time, this is in the time of Judges, which is just a messy time in Israel's history where there's a lot of instability there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of conflict it's happening in a time of famine it's happening in a time of death and it's also happening at a time where there is significant ethnic tensions and you know some of the commentators helped me to take off the warm fuzzy glasses through which i read this story sometimes of all the goodwill that's happening and there's some nitty gritty harsh realities to this story as well one pointed out to uh, how Naomi's response is interesting when Ruth in verse in chapter 1 gives her this beautiful eloquent speech of commitment Naomi's response is nothing She turns and starts walking towards Bethlehem. And one thought in that response is that Ruth was more of a liability than an asset. She was a Moabite. That was going to make it even harder for Naomi to integrate back into the community. It's one more mouth to feed. Naomi was under no illusions of what she was going back to. When she came in, all the, the Israelite women remarked about Naomi, nothing said about Ruth. She wasn't even recognized. And in this chapter, Ruth's being a Moabite is mentioned four times two by the author, one by Ruth herself. Clearly, her ethnicity was a liability was something that was difficult and increased her her vulnerability. But even with this mess in which this story unfolds, there's a beautiful reality of living under God's wings, living under his hesed. And in verse 12, Boaz recognizes that Ruth is taking refuge Under God's wings, currently, presently, taking refuge under God's wings. So, what does that look like? Well, for Ruth, that looks like bold humility. Now, first, remember Ruth is an ethnic outsider, and all of the actions in this chapter need to be seen in that harsh reality. She is in a very vulnerable position. She's a woman in a patriarchal society, she's a widow, she's a foreigner, and she's really poor. Yet she took refuge under God's wings. So to appreciate how remarkable her actions are, or were, we have to wade a little bit into the weeds of the translations of ancient Hebrew. Now I have to say that as I studied this, there is some controversy about how some of this chapter has been translated. And reading different um, translations gives us a little glimmer of some of that difficulty. And I'm sharing this controversy for for two reasons. Um, One is that it at least helped me, it reminded me to be careful and humble about reading these stories and the biblical text. We have to hold these convictions humbly because there is, <laughs> there is some controversy in the translations. And secondly, and most importantly, I think it gives us, gave me, a different perspective on Ruth that is worth noting. So the traditional view that I grew up with, with Ruth, was that Ruth goes into the field, she starts to glean. Boaz comes, and notices her because she's working amongst all the other women. And the overseer tells Boaz about her request and says she has worked steadily in the field until now. So the implication in this version of the story is that Ruth is is trying to be as inconspicuous as possible. She's just trying to work among the women. She's kind of saying, don't look at me. I just need to do what I need to do. But it's hard to fit that narrative in the weeds of the translation of the ancient Hebrew language. So first, about her request, and there's not much controversy about this, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. So that word is crucial. And it's indicating that Ruth's request is above and beyond The normal understanding and limits for gleaners. She is asking not to just clean up after the harvesters are all done. She is actually asking to work among the harvesters. This request is courageous, if not brazen. One commentator said, Probably aware of possible rejection and ostracism, she willingly took a sizable risk in order to benefit her mother-in-law. Again, she lived out her well-articulated fidelity and presented a model of risk, taking of risk-taking and devotion to be emulated. I think Ruth knew she needed to gather more and that subsistence gleaning that was allowed for her by the letter of the law. And so she went into that field boldly, requesting to do something more. And maybe her understanding of coming under God's wings allowed her to see beyond the letter of law, the letter of the law, to actually see the spirit of the law and what God's kindness looks like in the ebb and flow of real human need. In any case, there was a brashness to this request. And it helps us understand, I think, the overseer's response to this. So the overseer's response one way to think about it is she came and she has stood here waiting from early this morning until now. So there's the big difference and the big controversy. Was she working in the field or was she standing and waiting? There's good arguments to say that she was standing and waiting. Not only had she made a very courageous request, But now she was a request that the overseer would not have had um, authority to grant. But now she is standing and waiting. And it makes it clearer as to why Boaz could see her. He couldn't miss her. She was standing and waiting, persistently, patiently waiting to see how her request would be received. So one way to translate that last part is the field has become her residence. The house has meant little to her. In some ways, that could point to the overseer not knowing what to do with this woman who's just standing in the field. So her request is beyond the normal expectation for gleaners. And she waited For permission. And what was beautiful about this is one commentator pointed out was for her, sincere concern for her poverty was no reason to trample the rights of her neighbors. She knew her need, she made her request, and under the wings of God, she would wait to see how things would turn out. And when Boaz responded positively to her, surprise, complete gratitude was Ruth's response. There was not an ounce of entitlement there. I was struck as I was been meditating on these verses how often when I ask for something, I think I deserve it. And that's part of what motivates me to ask. But not so here. Here complete gratitude. She received God's loving kindness manifested through Boaz with beautiful gratitude. Living under God's wings allows for bold humility and beautiful gratitude. Now Boaz is also living under God's wings and what does that look like for him? Astounding generosity. So the author hints at Boaz's character. He's a man of standing and a man who walks with God, as indicated by his greeting with the workers. And then these hints are fully realized in verse 8 when Boaz responds to Ruth's request Don't go into another field, stay with my workers, follow along with them. You are protected drink water drawn by my people Boaz gave her status in his household he offered her with those phrases protection it was an unexpected an extravagant response And Boaz's reason for his generosity alludes to God's loving kindness. As mentioned before, Boaz's recognition of Ruth leaving her homeland echo back to the time that Abraham and Sarah and the patriarchs left theirs and were foreigners. And Boaz's hope that God would repay her for the debt that she had incurred by her actions was the same language for Jacob, In both those situations, God's peculiar love was extended to his redeemed people under his wings. And Boaz, recalling that faithfulness, freely offered an extravagant response. Boaz recognizes Ruth's generosity to Naomi and sees that action incurring a debt that only God can repay. He says, may God repay your actions. It's a debt that only God can make right. And even as his actions are a means of God's repayment, Boaz, with this explanation and blessing, has submitted his response to be part of God's provision. He was living under God's wings. But Boaz's generosity doesn't stop there. He draws Ruth in and more fully integrates her into the community of Israel. So verse 14, he invites her to the table. He invites her to share part of his meal. And in verse 15, he repeats a warning to his workers to not embarrass her. And he asks them to be generous to her. He goes beyond her request, her bold request of gleaning among the sheaves. And he offers her protection and water and then directs his workers to say, hey, pull some out and give her more. Bo- Boaz is slowly drawing Ruth into the life of Israel. As one commentator said, and I love this, Boaz is no mercy minimalist. He is not seeking to reduce God's law to bare minimum requirements. And it's not as if these actions are risk free for Boaz. I mean, he's coming out of the famine just like everybody else. And I'm sure he was negatively affected by it. And his wealth and provisions and financials were probably unstable. And also, he was certainly not exempt from the ethnic tensions that are just swirling around this whole story. I mean, that's one of the reasons why he had to repeat his warnings, and some, some think. Why he repeated his warnings to his workers to not harass her. He said that twice and was very clear about it. Boaz's generosity comes at his own personal expense. But it's done with the understanding that he is just the steward and God is the real provider. He's living under God's wings. It allowed him to be the hands and feet of God to Ruth. Recognizing that he is the steward and God is the owner, the benefactor, the true paymaster, all of that allowed Boaz, Boaz's generosity be free and astounding, even in the midst of personal risk. Boaz was not limited to the letter of the law regarding gleaning and foreigners, like we read earlier, but he was propelled to live into the spirit of the law in a way that was proper, that was within the customs of the day, but were, it was quietly radical. And in this way, he drew in the outcast and he shared God's loving kindness. He invited others to take refuge under God's wings. So God continues to draw in the outcast with his loving kindness. He continues to extend his peculiar love to his redeemed people, and he invites us to live under his wings. Clearly, clearly this story points us to the gospel and to Jesus who is the perfect manifestation of his love. So as we enter Advent and remembering Christ's birth and looking forward to his return, tell the stories. Tell the stories of God's loving kindness, just like Psalm 136 and Ruth. And just like we did last week where we shared stories of Thanksgiving during family time. Share the stories. Remember God's loving kindness and look for it in the mess of today. Because as we become practiced at seeing God's loving kindness hidden in plain sight, we become the kind of people who see God's grace. We become the kind of people who are bold in our humility gratefully receiving God's love with no sense of entitlement. We become extravagantly generous because we know God's love is more than enough. We become like Ruth, and we become like Boaz. And most importantly, we become like Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus told us that so that his joy may be in us and our joy may be complete. And as his disciples, as Christians, as little Christs in this world, living under God's wings, under his loving kindness, our normal, ordinary seemingly unimportant lives, oh, they're woven into God's redemptive purposes. We are part of his story right now. Wherever God has placed us, in work, in school, in hospitals, in homes, in families, in friendships, we are right where God wants us. And as we live boldly, in God's loving kindness and humbly receive the gift of grace, the outcast is drawn in, the foreigner finds a place, and God's peace is truly extended now. Please join me in prayer. Holy Father, thank you for sharing these stories about you. Thank you for revealing your character and your ways to us so that we may know you and come under your wings. Thank you for Jesus, your word made flesh dwelling among us, sharing your grace and your love with us, drawing us in so that we may share your love and grace with others. Thank you, Father.